0: Hi everyone! Welcome to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. I'm your host, Michelle Berard, founder and CEO of Michelle A. Berard LLC and urban book editor. And I'm really happy to share this hour with you, where we examine all those places where spirit meets life and the joys and challenges that may bring. Now, you guys who've been listening for a while know I like to start by thanking Ms. Beverly Black and Tribe Family Channel for helping me create this space for us. Tribe Family Channel is home to an assortment of thought-provoking shows that explore life, spirit, business, and culture, including The Woman at the Well, hosted by Ms. Beverly Black herself. Somewhere in the Middle was born on Tribe Family Channel, and though we've grown onto our own platform, we are ever grateful and loyal to our roots. To paraphrase an African proverb, we are here only because we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. I also want to say thank you to my guests on the April 10th show, author and anti-racism coach, Kaolin Kay. You can connect with Kaolin on social media. If you miss that show, make sure you listen to the replay. You can find our complete show archives, including the April 10th show at the, Somewhere in the Middle Podcast.com. I also want to shout out Bruce George of the Geniuses Common Movement, which encourages all of us to embrace our inner genius and share it with the world. This is a really important message now more than ever. I want you guys to get out there and share this message with the youth, but not just the youth. Sometimes we adults need to be reminded that the world needs our genius. Learn more about the Genius Is Common movement at www.geniusiscommon.com. Now, given everything that's been going on in our society of late and how education is changing, I am especially pleased to introduce this week's guest. Joyce Samuel is an energetic and experienced special education professional with a passion for pushing students to realize their full potential. With over 10 years of experience, she is a dedicated and resourceful educator with a solid commitment to the growth of the whole child. She gives parents the knowledge and confidence they need to advocate for their child, which is so important today. It was during an annual review of IEP that stands for Individualized Education Plans and reevaluation Meetings that Joy realized parents were signing documents, but leaving meetings feeling they weren't heard. They were feeling overwhelmed. She decided that she would start her own special education consulting practice to help parents navigate the special education process. After much prayer, Joy resigned from her teaching position in 2019 and took the leap of faith to start Joy Samuel Consulting LLC in Fairfax County, Virginia. Joy received her bachelor's degree from Peace College in 2011, where she majored in child development and minored in psychology. She received her special education license from East Carolina University in 2014. Joy has taught in the Wake County Public School System in North Carolina and most recently in Fairfax County public schools in Virginia. This is where she developed a reputation for advocating for the diverse and unique needs of students. So I'd like to welcome Joy Samuel to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. Joy, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, you may or may not have heard that I like to start my interview with two questions. And the reason I like to start with these questions is I like to understand, uh, your journey. And I think these two questions lead into that. So are you ready? Okay. Yes, I am. All right. Joy Samuel, who are you and how did you become who you are today?
1: I am a young entrepreneur from North Carolina. Um, I spent a a, the better part of my career as a special education teacher. And it through being a teacher that as I was teaching my students, they were giving me some very, very good um, life lessons. And I think that my experiences with teaching students with um, special needs has helped shape me into being a more caring, compassionate um, person. And it's helped me be more confident about what I'm doing because my students, even though they may have had their learning challenges, they were fearless and they were very brave on a daily basis and watching them help me become fearless and take steps of faith, like starting a business.
0: Wow. Okay, that's pretty powerful. So let me ask you then, what What kinds of uh, learning, I, I don't like that term disabilities, I almost want to say challenges. Um, where are you working with? What kind of learning challenges did the kids have?
1: Well, I, I used to tell my students that we're all unique, that not no one person is the same. So I told them that they had u- unique learning styles, mm-hmm. and so some of those um, unique learning styles are: um, I had students that were autistic, um, students that had ADHD, students who were dyslexic, I had students that were hearing impaired, and I had students who had sensory sensory processing disorder. And down syndrome
0: okay so let me ask you some of these I'm not sure that everyone in the audience will know what they are exactly I'm not even sure that I know what um, all of them are so give me an idea of what autistic means i mean we hear about kids being on the spectrum and things like that but what does that mean or how does that tend to present itself well children adults with
1: all autistic autism they're all uniquely different no one child just like with any anything no one child is the same but some of the some of the Some of the things that students with autism face, they may not like direct eye contact. Um, They may be distracted by extraneous stimuli. They don't like a lot of noise. So loud noises, for instance, may um, may be difficult for them. Not being able to see another person's perspective. Mm. And one of the more interesting um, things that I've noticed about my students who had autism was that they have, they find one thing and they become really good at it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have one student who was really good at math so anything dealing with numbers Mm -hmm. spot on so this student so this student would he could tell me when my birthday was going to be 10 years (laughs) 10 years from now (laughs) I mean numbers were his thing I haven't had another student where anything about weather he could tell you about anything about science he could tell you about another student, historical facts, historical data. So my students that had autism were just very interesting students. So -hmm. they had some things that you and I may look at and may not understand and maybe taken aback from, but this was their everyday journey, what they had to fight through.
0: Hmm. I think that's really interesting. So it's almost like their brains really latched onto one thing and came to understand it really in depth. but right. Maybe they were much weaker in a variety in. Yeah. So they I don't might be all but, other areas, but you know. Right. In, in several right. Other areas potentially.
1: And you know, those were just the examples I gave. I mean, there's mm. oh, there's so many different examples I can give you. Um. Autism is very unique because you see, you'll you see some children who have difficulty, you know, going out to dinner with their families, mm. being in social situations. Um, some, some, some adults, some children with autism are not very, they're not verbal. They can't speak. Okay. Um, so they may not be able to talk or, so, and, and so one of the big things I think is that autism is a word to describe a disorder, whatever, but it's so different. Like I said, each child who has it, or each adult who has it is very different. But for instance, a child with autism may also suffer from anxiety. So it may not be the autism. Mm-hmm. That is causing the behavior is the anxiety. So if you uh-huh. if you help a parent know their triggers, so the loud noises being in situations that there could be loud noises, well, if a child can't tell you that verbally, it's the behavior that shows you that 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 they're anxious about being in that situation. So if you get to the root. Of the anxiety sometimes you know the child may become verbal they may be able to tell you so there's there's many different things that could impact a child with autism
0: interesting that is really interesting so yeah. let me ask you about some of these others because the one that of course really stood out to me was a sensory processing disorder am I am I Yeah, so what is that?
1: So basically, sensory processing. So a child with that or an adult with that, because once you understand what sensory processing disorder is, you'll realize that even on some levels, you you may have sensory things that go on with you. So Mm -hmm. sensory processing disorder, first of all, is not a qualifying disability for special education services. Usually is, is having sensory process, sensory processing disorder will not qualify necessarily your child per se for special education services and the school setting.
0: And by but that, listen, so I'm going to stop you by that. You mean you okay. wouldn't be able to get an EAP or whatever the different designations the, are. They would not be able to get an IEP. IEP. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Um, And that's an individual education plan, right? Yes.
1: It's an individual education plan. Yes. So a child with sensory, think it as for instance, children seek sensory opportunities. So for instance, a child who If you have a child that likes to come up and run and like run and jump on you and Mm -hmm. squeeze you hard, they're seeking that input from that hard squeeze and it, it helps them in a, in an anxious with their, they become anxious in a situation. So if you think about it, you know how, I don't know if you have children, but if you have a boy, do you remember like the rough and tumble play? where the boys would like jump on each other, roll around on the ground mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and kind of, kind of fight and wrestle. Well, they were, even though we wanted them to stop. And right now, if you had two, two boys on the playground at school doing that, they would get in trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in that there was input that is is being displayed, is being shared. Mm-hmm. So... Some secret sensory seeking behaviors you might see in a child. A child rolling around on the floor on the carpet. Um, I don't know if you've ever noticed that some kids like to like rub up against the wall mm-hmm. or rub their hands across the wall. Um, basically I like to say there's it's not a chemical imbalance, but is there is with it's It's their body's way of letting them know that they need a break. They need they need a hug. They need to get their energy out. There's Mm -hmm. different things, and I probably didn't explain that (laughs) the greatest, but I tried to. I hope that gives you a little bit of a picture um, of what that
0: might it raises a question for me. So I have three kids, and at one point, some many years ago, um, two of my kids were playing soccer. And so I met all day at the soccer field on Saturday, right? And my son's soccer coach, tall, strapping, blonde-haired guy, his wife, (laughs) tall, beautiful, athletic woman, and they had these three blonde boys, Um, they look almost, I I think there's a phrase they call them Irish twins or something like that. They were like stair steps or whatever, so they were very close in age. And at one point I'm sitting in the bleachers watching the kids play and the and the, the coach's wife is right there, not far from me. And all of a sudden I see the two older boys dragging the younger son by his feet across the grass and they are all giggling like crazy. This little boy's head is literally bouncing on the ground. And I'm like, oh my God, they're going to kill that baby. And she's like, no, they do this kind of stuff all the time. She wasn't even phased by it because she just saw it all the time. And I was like, oh my God, they're going to kill that child. (laughs) So what I'm hearing from you is that that type of behavior is not, um, what we may, you know, see as some sort of aggressive behavior. It's actually them getting out their energy, getting their affection and playtime in and all that as brothers, as boys, or whatever yes. it was that was going on there. Yes, exactly. Whoa. Okay. Yeah, this is why yeah. I teach little kids.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and like for me, um, I don't, I've always had a problem with tags and clothes Mm,
0: mm -hmm.
1: to the point where I used to cut out the tags. Mm -hmm. And so now you see a lot of shirts that are tagless. Yeah. And so imagine you having a huge and strong um, sensitivity that for your sensory, for for someone who is who may have sensor sensory processing or disorder, that tag may feel like a knife cutting in their neck oh, wow. because they're getting that feedback and yeah. it just,
0: it's not a good feeling for them. Well, what led you to special education teaching?
1: I would say that special education found me just like teaching did. <laughs> um, Being a special education teacher was not my first choice, neither was being a teacher. Um, You know, we all have unique gifts and abilities. And for a long time, I was a teacher assistant. And in some places, they're called instructional assistants. And I always had a gift for connecting with students that some may find to be a challenge and it could be behaviors, emotional things that were going on with them. And through that, I got my, my degree to teach and to teach special education. So, um, it was through principals and colleagues seeing me connect with students in a way that they weren't able to, that they that one of my former, one of the former principals at a school that I worked at, said that she really wanted me to consider, you know, getting my license to teach special education because she felt like that was a true gift that I had, and so I did. And it's it like I said at the beginning, it was a very rewarding experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's, it's not an e- it wasn't an easy job. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with teaching, everyone kind of has their, their specialty. Um, but I'm not going to say it was an easy job. Um, there was, there were some difficulties, but it was the relationships that I formed with the students and the families that kept me going for as long as I did.
0: So what are some of the challenges with Teaching in general and teaching special ed in particular?
1: I would say some of the challenges with special education is yes, you have this, the training to work with students with disabilities, but it's within a school setting. So the class, the caseloads you have are not always ideal. Um, there's so much paperwork. I mean, I understand the paperwork because of course there's legalities with that, Mm -hmm. um, because you know, the way I saw it, the IEP was a legally binding contract Mm -hmm. and so you had to adhere to the IEP goals and the, the child's needs. And so you had to do, you have to deal with the IEP goals, the data that supports what you're doing to show growth. You have, you may have a child who is in the fourth grade but reading on a first grade level, and you're held and bound to, the, you're held accountable for the child's grade level standards while trying to fill a gap. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I just think the system that we have in place for that, as far as being in the education system, is not conducive to fully supporting the student's needs.
0: Yeah, I'm actually I, curious I, about something. You said the account you're accountable for the grade level standards even while you're trying to fill the gap. So there's no adjustment to that for the well, kids? I, So,
1: the standards that you have to follow for a child's grade level, so if they're in fourth grade, there are standards. And some of those standards are also in other grade levels. So, if you're teaching math, and in fourth grade, a student may... um, maybe doing three-digit by three-digit multiplication or three-digit by two-digit division. Mm -hmm. If they're in fourth grade and let's say their their math skills are at a second grade level, you're looking at the standard, but you're going to work on just single-digit multiplication Mm -hmm. with that child, not necessarily... The two-digit. You're going to help them where they're where they have the weakness to get them up to fourth grade. But
0: however,
1: it, however, going back to what you said is a challenge because if you can't do single-digit multiplication, how can you do three-digit by three-digit multiplication? And so that's where a student's accommodations for the IEP would come into play with helping you navigate that. Because at the end of the day, and I hate to say it, that that student that's in that's on a second grade level in fourth grade in math, they're still gonna have to take that state's test in
0: on a fourth grade level. That's what I was trying to so that's why I, I think I'm I'm having a little confusion. So if a child is starting out at second grade level, is it how likely is it to get them to a point where they can be successful on a fourth grade level test within a a school term? Because that's two years behind essentially for, for whatever reason. That's you know what I mean? So I, I don't you, know what question you would is like, here. Yeah, I
1: understand your question. So you would want your student to make one year's growth. Ah, okay. Um, One year, a year to a year and a half growth, Mm -hmm. Um, and that's putting interventions in place to support that student, and there are some who do make that year and a half growth, and they do
0: come up to their grade level, and there are some that don't, unfortunately. So, you said that the system doesn't seem to be conducive in some ways, or this is what I heard, that it sounded like the system is not necessarily conducive as it's structured right now to serving the students' needs.
1: And I think that's just for for all the kids, not just special ed students, but just in general, there's some changes that need to be made. And I had quite figured out all the changes that need to be made. But you know, I think any teacher will tell you that there are some changes that need to be made. Um, and I think when you're dealing with students who have disabilities and are, and are supposed to be pulled out of the that are getting out of classroom support, when you're in a classroom, when you think of, of small group setting. So if you think if if your child was getting pulled out in a small group setting, Michelle, how many kids do you think would be in that small group?
0: I don't know. If it's normally a classroom of 30 kids, I'd expect a small group to be maybe eight or 10.
1: OK. So, yeah, that's about right. Or you'd even want a little bit less, especially...
0: Wow. I would want yeah. it to be a little less, but I'm, i I'm, maybe I'm just being realistic about what I don't no, know. Cause.
1: No, I mean that that you know you you have students with disabilities that get support in the in a um in the special ed setting, and
0: you may have one teacher that's supporting 15 students. But aren't you supposed to have people that help you when you're in those? I guess I don't look at especially at the elementary school level. it Seems like there are a lot of people in the classroom these days right so with that you have you do have instructional
1: assistants that may be in there but if you have a group of kids for an hour depending on the needs of the other students that are supported you may get them half of that time so if they're in there with you for an hour they if the students are in there with you out you may have that's that um instructional assistant may only be in there with you for a half hour.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Um, because you do have some students with special needs who get in, in classroom support. So mm-hmm. those same IAs are going in and supporting students in the classroom as well. Got it. Or you're, or you're going in the classroom. There's a lot of different scenarios
0: And I would imagine that when you're dealing with uh, kids with developmental issues, sometimes an hour doesn't actually end up being an hour just because it may take 20, 30 minutes to get people settled down to do what needs doing. Am I projecting here or am I, okay. Yeah, nope, you're, you're, yep, you're exactly right. So what kinds of things can parents do to help support the the work the teachers trying to do or to help to work with the teacher. So, the parents are the strongest
1: advocates that a child can have as far in in the school system. It's so whether your child has a special need or whether they or if you have concerns um the school wants there to be a partnership between the parents and the teachers, not one versus the other. Because I think at the end of the day, everybody has the the child's best interest at heart. But if for parents, if you have concerns about your child's education, as far as if if they're having difficulties in a certain grade, in a certain subject, or if they have diff- difficulties in social situ- situations. Start by first letting the teacher via email, because that's the easiest way. Mm-hmm. Um, but just send the teacher an email and say, hey, I'm noticing this about my child. Can we schedule some time to talk? Mm-hmm. And schedule a conference with your, with your child's teacher. I know that... Some school systems have in place that every quarter um, after a report card comes out or interims come out, you know, there's conference time. But if any time that you have concerns about your child in the school setting, reach out to the teacher, you know, say I have these concerns and I want to discuss them with you. And that way the teacher knows ahead of time what you want to address. Mm-hmm in the conference and then she can take note if she's noticed things in those areas. My thing is don't let the first time also that you contact your te- the child's teacher is when there is a problem. If you have that good rapport to begin with, then sometimes you can address things mm-hmm. in a quicker and easier fashion. So start with a conference, Address, Have a list of your concerns, um, and just sit down and talk them through. Um, come up with a plan. So, if they if, if you are noticing difficulties with math or with reading, because those are the two common areas that students may be having some difficulties. If the teacher says that she's noticing, ask to see samples of the child of your student's paperwork of your your son or daughter's paperwork. Like their classwork, so copies of tests, or if they've had, you know, reading assessments, any assessments that they've been given that the teachers give in the classroom, that could be a test. there or school benchmarks that they give. Mm-hmm. Go through that and then come up with a plan. So if it's that maybe the teacher suggests you work on. So if it's let's say it's a kindergartner and they're having trouble with alphabet or letter sounds, then you're asking the teacher, hey, what can I do at home with my child to help support and help him learn his letters? You know, what are some different activities to do? So do that, set up a plan. And then if you need to set up time to, to, you know, follow up and see, hey, are you noticing any changes? I noticed that since we started doing X, Y, and Z, they're being, they're reading more fluently. You know, what are you noticing in the school? Mm -hmm. If there's still concerns or, you know, you've had conversations and say that the, the teacher or even you are noticing that, Hey, there may be something deeper. You can always talk to your, your child's pediatrician, say, Hey, I'm noticing this. I'm concerned. Talk to the pediatrician, he or she may give you some tips on things to do. And if testing is suggested, then ask the school, the, te- the teacher, whoever suggests that to you, Hey, you know, ask them, what does testing mean? Like have them talk you through the process, you know, of what it means to get tested. What does that mean? Have them explain to you what's what they're going to do in that process. Because just because a child the testing is recommended doesn't necessarily mean that a child has a disability. Right. I think sometimes people when they hear, oh, you you want me to test my child, have my child evaluated that is assumed or predetermined that this child is going to have some type of learning disability. And that is not always the case. Okay. Um, You actually want special education services to be the last resort. What do you mean by that? So if you think about it, when you're, when you're having a child evaluated, you're basically, some, sometimes there's a rusted judgment that the child has the disability. Mm-hmm. So you don't want, you want to make sure that there are interventions in place, things that you that the te- classroom teacher is doing to help meet the needs of the student. Okay. You know, because basically in, in essence, when you get to a evaluation meeting and testing is done, you want to make sure that everything that you as a teacher or you as a parent, you have done everything to assist your child. Mm-hmm. And because essentially, you know, sometimes you're telling a parent that their their child has a learning disability.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's not an easy thing. And if I'm going to tell, if I was a teacher and I told a parent I wanted my child that I wanted their child evaluated. I want to make sure that I've done everything on my part to to make sure that I was meeting their needs. Right. You you don't want special education to be the first point. You mm-hmm. want it to be the last point. Got it. And sometimes I think that gets lost in translation. Because mm-hmm. they're like I said, not all children who have difficulties in school have a learning disability.
0: Well, I mean, there I are a lot of things, the fact,
1: go ahead. I... Um, there are a lot of other factors to look at. If a child is struggling, you know, a child who, who is hungry on a daily basis, um, they present with certain behaviors that if you looked at, if if you looked at it, You may think, hey, there's, there's like when really the child, you, you know, they're not getting an adequate meal every day. Their home situation is not very stable. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And that shows in behaviors that the child is exerting or is showing at school, exhibiting at school. So I just think you have to be careful with that, that you have to look at everything that could be impacting a child. Before you before you know we say that you say that the child has a disability,
0: well, and I think that's something that you, you and I have talked offline a little bit, mm-hmm. and I may have mentioned that many years ago, I applied to put my son in pre-k. I don't know if I told you this. And the school decided because of his birthday, no, we're putting him in kindergarten. And then a couple of weeks in, the teacher calls me in and says, Well, we think we need to take him out and give him some special classes or something like that. Because, well, he doesn't know how to sit in the desk and this and the other. I said, I know he doesn't. That's why I applied for him to go to pre K. <laughs> and the reason he doesn't know how to do that is because I had my own business, you know, my ex-husband and I had a business, and I was working from home, and he didn't have to go to um, early childhood and stay all day. I would sometimes go pick him up and we'd go have little adventures. You know? right. right. so, he didn't have to sit in the classroom all day and learn how to be trained like all the other kids, and that's why I wanted him back in pre-K, even though you know, it was not what, what is prescribed by the state and that's because I'm the parent and I know my child and I know what he needs. And since y'all decided that y'all were gonna override me, the parent who knows the child, you get to teach him all of this. And they did not appreciate my response. But I think it's indicative of sometimes the school system, as you say, not being really structured to deal with kids individually as they should be. And then they also sometimes don't want to listen to parents. Right. And then you would have school systems say that sometimes
1: parents don't want to listen to the school system. So that's where Mm -hmm. I think there's got to be some, there's got to be some rebuilding of trust between school systems and parents Mm -hmm. Um, because that's, that's not often communicated. That is a partnership. and it goes both ways. So I think yeah. that's one of the problems. I think there's mistrust, there's a mistrust on the parents' part, as well as the school's part, because teachers and administrators see so much on a, on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And um, you, you may have the parents who listen And are working with you as a team, and then you have the parents that are, you know, are way right and just push back at everything that you try to do. So I think there needs to, on both sides, there needs to be, and I'm I don't shouldn't say size, but I think we we've got to find ways to work better, to work on the parent school teacher dynamic. And bridge mm-hmm. that gap that's kind of divided,
0: divided. Well, and that's that's what you're doing with your business, right? So tell us about your business. What is it that you're doing um, with the with the teachers, with the parents, with the students? How are you um, kind of bridging that gap?
1: Well, my focus has really been on the parents per se as um, because I have this experience working in special education. I, my business, basically, I help parents whose children are starting the process of special education or already have students with disabilities. Um, I'm helping them kind of not navigate that process from start to finish. Um, so for a parent who's been told that their child does need testing, needs to be evaluated for a learning disability. I am walking them through that process of what that means um, from start to finish. Parents that have students with a current IEP that they may not be necessarily happy with the IEP goals or or they've got, or they have questions that I'm helping them, I'm looking helping them go through the IEP. In the child's um, IEP progress reports, and seeing "Okay, hey, what needs, what needs to be continued work on? What needs to be tweaked? What other accommodations do they need? Are there some accommodations that need to be asked for?" Um, and then help. And then with that, is along the lines of helping them effectively communicate with the school. Um,
0: so if you, had, if you had three things that you could recommend that a parent do today to um, facilitate working with the teacher about what would you do? Communication.
1: If you have a question,
0: Ask. Hey, Joy, I'm sorry, yeah. I've got to stop you. I can't hear you your your arm is over your mic I'm sorry sorry (laughs) so let me I'm gonna ask that question again (laughs) okay okay sorry Um, so if you had three things that you could recommend for a parent to do to work with the teacher or the school to help with their child's education whether they're special needs or not what would those three things be just a quick three tips
1: Um, well, as I stated earlier, communicate with communication. So, if you have a question, ask. Don't be afraid to send the teacher email and ask the question. That's the first tip. Um, the second thing I would say do is that if, if you have contacted the teacher and she's asked, and you've worked together um, to establish what your child needs follow up with that you know so if you if y'all have determined that you're going to read for 30 minutes a night or do a certain activities do the activities because you've you've asked what your child needs you've been you've given been given the information the teacher's working on it you're working on it but sometimes i feel like we forget to follow up with each other so follow up and say hey I'm working on this they seem to be getting this and this could be like I said before in the example letter sounds the alphabet is there something else what what can we do next so I would say once you do make that initial contact and you ask the questions and you're given the feedback follow-up follow-up with the teacher and then I would say the third thing to do The third thing, especially if your child does have a a special need or has an IEP, just make sure you understand the documents that you're receiving. That is the IEP, the progress reports, the evaluation reports. And I guess even for parents with children who don't have disabilities, make sure you understand what that report card says. When you're given the results of benchmark test assessments that the, that the um, school system gives. If you don't understand what you're reading, ask ask someone to tell you what it is. And don't feel bad for asking, because I promise you, you're not the only person who doesn't know. <laughs>
0: awesome. I, so, guys, I, I, yeah. <laughs> so guys, you got three great tips here. It doesn't matter whether your kids Are uh, under an IEP or not, you want to make sure you're communicating with the teacher, asking questions. Make sure that if you've talked with the teacher and you guys have developed a plan, do the activities and then follow up with the teacher so you guys can monitor progress. And then, especially if your child has special needs or an IEP, but even if they don't, make sure you understand all of the documents you receive from the school, including any reports, assessments, tests and report cards. And fortunately, we've got Joy here who can help you with all of that. Joy, tell people how they can get in touch with you.
1: So you can um, contact me. There's two different ways um, at simuelconsulting.com or on Facebook. Um, and my business name is Joy Samuel Consulting LLC.
0: So salary. you can reach out to, they can reach out to you on Facebook at Joy Simuel Consulting, LLC? Yes. How's that spell, Joy?
1: So it's Joy, J-O-Y, Simuel, S-I-M-U-E-L, Consulting,
0: C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G, and then LLC. And the website is SimuelConsulting.com, yes? Yes. And I'm going to spell that out for you guys. S-I-M-U-E-L, consulting. You guys know how to spell consulting.com. <laughs> Joy, thank you so much for being on Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. Thank you for having me, Michelle. Well, that's our show this week, guys. You can reach out to me online at urbanbookeditor.com or com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram as Urban Book Editor. Send me a note. I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to send in some topics you'd like us to cover on the show. Make sure you listen to the show on May 8th, when my guest will be Christian author Alan Black. You can find us twice a month on Fridays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central, and 8 p.m. Eastern at the the somewhereinthemiddlepodcast.com. Let's continue the conversation. You guys be good, stay mindful, and remain prayerful. Peace and blessings, y'all.